When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you are listening to episode 223 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing why movement matters. These days, our kids are moving less than any other generation in human history, and indoor time and screen time have skyrocketed. This week, I'm speaking with author and biomechanist Katie Bowman. In her new book titled Grow Wild, The Whole Child, Whole Family, Nature Rich Guide to Moving More, Katie argues that, and I quote, movement is currently counterculture. Oh my goodness, I can't wait to talk to her all about that. So today we are discussing why movement matters as well as those tangible ways both ourselves and our children can reclaim movement opportunities that have been lost to the conveniences associated with modern living. Katie, I'm really thrilled to talk to you today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. Why don't we start by you introducing yourself? Who are you? What do you do? And how did you find yourself so interested in reclaiming movement opportunities for ourselves and our children? My name is Katie Bowman. I am a biomechanist. And just for those that don't know, it's it's a field of science that usually sits within kinesiology, the study of human movement. So biomechanists study the physical forces of living systems. What's the impact of physical forces on living systems? So in the mo- in the human movement world, it would be, um, what is it about the way that we move and the, the physical environment that affects our physiology, our health? And oh my gosh, my road to it was long, um, but I've been doing it for a long time. It just happened at university. I stumbled into the program because I always liked math and physics, but I also liked movement. Having gone from being a sedentary person, someone who just really read and sat around a lot, I grew up that way, and discovering movement around 17 or 18, and it made me feel so much better than I had felt all the years before. And then I have two kids. I have now um, an almost nine-year-old in a week and a -a ten-and-a-half-year-old, and so I really was able to raise them, you know, I'm sort of a science nerd in this way. I was able to raise them in sort of an experiment of what would a movement intense or a movement rich environment look like and how, what skills would they develop being placed in that type of environment? And so we changed really everything about our lifestyle to facilitate movement, um, which also ends up being 
quite nourishing in other ways. And so I wrote Grow Wild, this book, because I thought so many people are struggling to figure out how to add more movement, how to balance technology, how to eat more nutritiously, and how to live more eco-minded. And I thought, well, more movement is really a single way to get all of those things at once. So I wrote that book to show um, a, a lot of solutions by making very few changes. Well, I did mention in the introduction that children are moving less than any other generation in human history. Why is that the case? That one, we our, our culture overall has really, it's been stepwise, but we've gone to We've gone to something that's much more industrialized and less DIY. So if you think of like where where does movement come from for humans, it really comes from moving for the stuff that we need. But in really industrialized nations where a lot of work has gone to machines or outsourced labor, with that, we also got rid of a lot of the natural precursors to movement. So why do humans and other animals move? We move because we have a catalyst for some sort of reward at the end of that movement. So when we've gotten rid of the reasons for moving, I mean, you can like our smartphones. Now, if you think about what we can get on them and we can have food brought to our door, you can search for a house, you know, you can find a shelter, you can find a mate and it's all been replaced with, with a single swipe. And so when you look at that biomechanically or even anthropologically, what you see is like, Oh, so many of our human needs haven't really changed, but our ways that we go about meeting those needs have radically changed. The way that I wrote the book was by environment. It's, you know, what is, what is modernity's impact on culture and then the food we eat and how much work goes into the food? Most people don't grow any food or even it used to be like we all used to grow food or forage for it. And then there was a falling off where people would buy whole ingredients that other people farmed, even in cities, you know, there there's not been farming there for a while, but now we're buying even more finely processed food. Meaning you used to buy a bag of carrots, even if you didn't grow them. Now you buy pre-shredded carrots, right? You're buying food where all of the movement has been done to process it. And then now we buy smoothies, right? We don't have to chew our food anymore. We just suck it down a straw. And every one of those movements uh, has a purpose within our physiology. So when we lose them, we start to see what emerges when we've become really entirely sedentary and not just in steps per day and metabolic reasons, but like, what is not, what are the implications of not chewing your food? What are the implications of not being able to balance or jump? You know, like they start to become liabilities in their own way. I talk a lot on this show about the convenience factor and how all these products of convenience are affecting the planet. And I wanted to have a conversation with you today because I can tell through the passion in your voice that you're exceptionally passionate about how products of convenience are limiting our human movement. Why, as a biomechanist, is it so concerning to you that we're losing all these opportunities for movement that traditionally and historically have been just a part of being a human. When we're talking about climate change, when we're talking about vibrant ecology, what we're not like, we're, we're not naming the biggest elephant in the room, which is 
most of the waste that's on the planet has to do with our individual steps away from moving for what we need. So even if you just went to cars, what is a car? You know, a car is there to move your body from point A to point B so that you don't have to do what all the humans before you did, which was move their own body to get from point A to point B. So, so much of what like our carbon footprint is, is really, it's doing the things that took us more movement. I mean, there's obviously the reason I pause there is because there's, we're also consuming really anything that gives us pleasure. Like we're not really able to say, I'm going to consume things that are more towards my necessity and less for my pleasure or the things that I love. Um, and so our, our, our pleasure seeking is sort of out of hand with just anything that I want, I can bring to me right now um, and look, it's so easy, but there's a, a ton of movement that goes into all of those things. So like the most simple and less shocking, I would say, um, example would be like eating out of season, eating out of season. Why don't we eat out of season? Or, I mean, we do, but well, one of the reasons or arguments against it is because it takes so much energy to bring something from the other side of the planet to where you are right now, when there is food around you that you could eat, but you just have a preference for it. So um, is all of those choices we make have so much movement. So we are not seeing the impact of human sedentarism in the eco chain. Our movement is a main part of intact ecosystem. And right now we're trying to look at the ecosystem and be like, wow, it's not doing really well, but we're not really looking at how collective mass worldwide collective sedentarism is affecting things. But then we also don't look at how our individual sedentarism relates to massive collective sedentarism. So it's just movement matters in the very direct sense of where we are not stepping carbon is carbon footprint is replacing literally like our steps or our physical actions. That's a great point. And I thank you for bringing up the, the car example. I'm wondering though, as a mom with two children, nine and 10, what do you find concerning about the health effects of children who are moving less? My foray into biomechanics really was a health centric perspective. Another reason that I wrote Grow Wild was I had worked with so many adults, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, who were suffering physical ailments that related to their, uh, usually like if you go to physical therapy, it relates to your movement patterns, right? You're going to get correctives for the for the specifics of how you're moving. You know, oh, when you use your arm, you use it at this angle. And when you use it at this angle, only some of the muscles in the shoulder get strong. So I'm going to teach you how to use your arm at a slightly different angle so that you, you have a more robust or more better distributed shoulder musculature, which will help that joint. What I was trying to explain to my clients is many of the ailments that you are experiencing right now is the emergence of a pediatric disease. It's the accumulative effect of the development that you had when you were younger. And, you know, they would all say, man, I wish, I wish I had known this when I was so much younger, I would have done this when I was younger, but it's like, we're all, by the time we're 30 or 20, those patterns, a lot of the patterns of movement are set. So I was like, okay, well, let me show you from infant to eight infant to 12, what you might do as a parent to 
create a child with a much more robust movement palette. So it'd be the same thing with food. You know, if you just give your kid a very limited amount of food as they're developing, they develop a lifelong preference for these types of foods to the point they really can't palate anything else. Movement is one of the um, best things you can do to protect yourself from many different diseases. Mm. I love how you gave the example there of food, right? How many of us parents listening have children who will only eat white pasta with butter, right? (laughs) We're going to transition this conversation toward how we can make our homes more movement-friendly, especially in the time of COVID-19, where we're all just naturally staying home more and going out less. We're going to talk all about that after a quick word from this week's second sponsor. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high-quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game-changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we are back with Katie Bowman, author of Grow Wild, the Whole Child, Whole Family, Nature Rich Guide to Moving More. We are at the point in our conversation where we are talking about how we can make our homes more movement friendly. But before I ask that question, I have to preface it with a personal question I had as a mom as I was reading Grow Wild. And that is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Katie, but in the book, there's a picture of your child on the dining room table. So I have to ask you, do you let your kids up on the furniture? Is that right? Well, the, there's a picture of it. So we have lower tables. So there is a picture in the book of my kid doing a handstand on the table with his legs up the wall. It's low, you know, so it's only two feet off of the ground. 
I would not have them handstanding during dinner, but that was in a bias check-in section for you to say, for you to be like, how does this picture make you feel? When you see this picture, what's coming up for you? And it dives into you and, and in conjunction with your family to break down, like what actually are the movement rules, explicit and implicit of our home? I mean, we definitely have rules around physical behavior in our house, but I wouldn't be very quick to associate you know, a child exploring a feat of strength or gymnastics in the home environment as something that wasn't allowed. So I hear you talking about innate biases, right? Or biases. Kids shouldn't be, or traditionally in most households, we dissuade our children from doing handstands on the dining room tables. Do you have any tips for parents who find themselves reverting to those cultural biases where we sit at the table with our feet on the ground and tables are for eating on, not for doing acrobatics on. I mean, I would love to be a mom who lets their kids climb on the table, but uh, there is something inside me that's holding me back. And I'm sure my listeners are, some listeners might be feeling that way as well. So do you have any thoughts on that? we're so stuff oriented. We've like literally stuffed our houses full of so many things that there is no more space to move without breaking a knickknacks, like some, some by definition, non-essential. And we're prioritizing non-essentials over essentials. Now at this point, we have so much stuff. So how do you become someone who is more tolerant of movement in the house has a lot to do with just writing down what comes up for you and and why you think it does. I mean, I think it requires some self-reflection. Like that was a rule in my house. Um, I feel bodies are dirty and shouldn't be on the table, you know, where food is supposed to be clean. You know, so I think that the step one is just to vomit all of those things out so that you can see them. Because sometimes a lot of the thoughts that we have about how things should be related things that we haven't even articulated to ourselves. Um, And then the second one is don't start with handstands on the kitchen table, make a space that's comfortable for you, for them to be moving in more. So if it doesn't want to be on the, like, I'm not saying everyone has to be able to do a handstand on the, on their kitchen table, but there should be a place where they can do a handstand within the house. So start with that. Like, does that feel comfortable to you? Yeah. Okay. We are so good at laying all the ways you can't move, all the places you can't move for kids. I mean, kids are inundated with don't move, don't do this type, not the right time. And what we haven't seen is there actually is no more time for children to move anymore. There's no places for them to move anymore. So as we're simultaneously laying down all the do nots, we're also stressed every day about why our kids aren't moving or getting off the screens or like, we can't figure out how to negotiate this. I'm like, do you have a place for them to move robustly, creatively and with enjoyment? If the answer is no, why would they get off all their devices to go do all the other things anyway? Like they've been shut down from anything else. So make that space, make it in a room collectively with your kids, you know, ask them like, where would you like to move? What's your most favorite room in the house? What show me what kind of movements you would like to do in here. And I'll see if we need a mat you know, you can pick up a, a used bit of flooring to make a cushioned floor, um, like work with them, figure out what they need and know that they're going to change as they get older. Would you like to climb on something? What would that look like for you? Like what are the movements that you enjoy? And then create that space in your house. Start there. 
Well, you did a great job offering some suggestions for within the home. And in your book, you gave an awful lot of examples for encouraging movement outside of the home. I might even argue that when we go outside, the opportunities for movement exponentially increase. And so I want to talk to you about your concept of stacking behaviors, because I thought as a mom, that's awesome. So I'm pausing that. But first, I want to ask you, to any parent listening who thinks to themselves or says to themselves, my kid's not an outdoorsy kid. He or she is a book bookworm or a video game star, or they just don't like the outdoors. Do you have any thoughts or words of encouragement for them? Well, one, we're all outdoorsy. We, we are outdoorsy by nature. What you're good at has a lot do a lot to do with what you've been exposed to, but we are all outdoorsy by nature. And so, for others, they're they're just more comfortable in the home. You have to do some of the work to get them outside. So it's sort of like like we tend to see children who are hyperactive as the problematic versus the children who will be still as like those ones are fine. The ones that are hyperactive are the have a default or a glitch. When really we could also say that those that are able to be more still for longer are just able to more easily suppress their need to move. You know, we all have different strengths in different ways. And so for the child who you're less like, this kid is just not outdoorsy. It's not enjoyable to them. They're not good at it, that they need more regular exposure. We've become pleasure oriented, like everything has to feel good all of the time. Like we've forgotten the benefits of periods of time that don't feel great or highly stimulating or dopamine rewarding, you know, like that, the idea that you can go out and be nourished, you can be nourished by a plate of food that doesn't excite you or you particularly enjoy. So it's like, this is just like the vegetables movement is vegetables. So if you have a kid who's like the kid doesn't like to eat vegetables, like they just weren't built that way. It's like, well, it has, again, it has more to do with how their palate was laid down originally. So you need to spend a lot of time reintroducing foods in those cases. You know, I think it's like upwards of 30 times for them to readjust their palate with them pushing it away every single time before it begins to transition. Same goes for movement. This idea that movement outside for children that feel best inside, just recognize that they'll need a stepwise approach to be hardened off, so to speak, where they can thrive and be successful outside. Just pushing a kid who's been allowed to spend so much time inside, sedentary, taking in of something still, like I wouldn't expect them to be successful outside. So it's going to be about dosage in this case. It's going to be about the activity. It's going to be about being creative about what are the other things that they like that they can then partake in outside. So if you have a kid who's a Harry Potter fan and can't step away from the book, it's going to be like, let's make an outside Quidditch game. We all need outside. We all need movement. There's not things that exclude us from those human requirements, even though they may not be our preferences. Now let's get into stacking. You argue that the key to moving more and the key to getting our children to move more is to stack our lives. What on earth does this mean? multitasking is this idea that we have where like, I'm going to go and do five things at once or three things at once. And you're trying to cycle through all the three things. You're never really giving any one single thing, your attention. You're just quickly switching in between each of the three things. So nothing's really being done 
well for that period of time, or I should say deeply for that period of time. Stacking is this idea of looking for tasks that serve multiple purposes. So rather than trying to do multiple tasks in one period of time, you're looking for a single task in a period of time, that same period of time that meets more than one need. This used to happen better in nature because we lived in greater community. We were collectively um, responsible for the group doing well and shared child raising, we shared food production, we shared celebration. And so you didn't have to schedule play dates and schedule exercise and go to the grocery store and do them separately. They all happened at the same time. So it's to call on that understanding of like, this is, this is the more, um, this is, this is the environment in which humans were able to meet so many of their needs for such a long time to kind of harken back to that and try to to figure out what those tasks would be. So for example, having your friend, your kid and their friends over to figure out how to make a Quidditch game outside, those are play dates, that's their nature, that's their outside activity, that's their movement, and that's their joy, their their way of like collaborating together. So that would be a way, like I would pick that as a single activity to do after school over maybe a sports class where the kid isn't meeting as many of their needs at the same time. It could be, if it's outside, it could be making it more. So it's this idea of like, how do I select for activities, whether they're for the child or for the family that end up um, meeting many of their needs at once? I like how you distinguished stacking from multitasking because they're very different. And so thank you for that. Two questions left for you. The first is for listeners who are inspired by you and your work and know that their family, themselves and their children, are not moving enough. What are a few first steps for them? Resistance to movement is a very natural phenomenon. So humans are burdened with both the need for a tremendous amount of movement and also um, the genetics to conserve energy. That's, that's what we're struggling with is we've got both of those things going on in our DNA. Sedentarism is the natural side effect to the environments that we have created for ourselves. Start a family walk. It doesn't have to be long. It can be 15 minutes or 18 minutes. So it does not have to be like, um, oh, we should hike together. You know, we need gear. Like it's not, it's not that it's really to cultivate the practice that you We're able to get your children to know how to brush their teeth by repetition, by just laying it down. This is what we do. There's not a, it's not a volunteer thing. It's not because they like it. It's because it's an essential. So think about that, but do it every day, whether it's around the block, if it's snowing, it doesn't matter. Bundle up, you know, if it's really hot, adjust the time. You are going to set the stage of this is what we do. Change something about your environment. So that would be my second tip. How, how are you promoting movement in your house? If you want to exercise more, stretch regularly, do you have your stuff out? Do you have a, a space that's dedicated for movement? And it doesn't have to be a lot. It could be, I've cleared a wall space where my mat sits right there, but I can roll it out and I can just, I know that it's carved for me versus having nothing but chairs and cushiony surfaces that beckon everybody to sit down and just be comfortable. So those would be two great places to start. Start a small walk 
and make some space in your house where movement is not only permitted, but encouraged. Katie, this is a really inspiring conversation for me personally. My I took my kids on a walk yesterday and they complained the whole time and I wanted to throw up my hands and say, forget this, but 30 times for a behavior change you mentioned. So I do like to tell parents like complaining is natural. Their enjoyment of it does not indicate its benefit. Um, it's really just the transition of habit. Like habit change is hard. And if you've ever tried to give up something, smoking or drinking or food types, or, you know, like, you know, what comes up, they, kids don't have the filter of going, oh, right. Like this is eventually going to put me on the path that I want. So just let that wash over you and keep on trucking. Keep on doing it. (laughs) Where can my listeners find you and your new book? Nutritiousmovement.com or Nutritious Movement on social. Um, uh, Nutritious Movement on YouTube is a good place to see a lot of the movements in action and nutritiousmovement.com is full of articles and very helpful things, hours, days, weeks worth of content. Well, quick plug for your new book. I loved it. I loved every second of reading it. And I wish you and your next endeavor, whenever it may be, the best of luck. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Listeners, I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Katie Bowman, author of Grow Wild. I have linked to her amazing social media accounts as well as her new book in this week's show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 223. Now, I will see you on Thursday where I am answering a listener's question all about what we should do and perhaps how we should store all the clothes in our closets that do not currently fit. Oh my goodness. What a unifying topic, right? I'm willing to bet we all have clothes that don't currently fit our current bodies. We're going to talk all about that on Thursday. I will see you then. If you have not called in yet and left your holiday celebration plans, your eco-minimalist holiday celebration gift giving ideas now is the time the way to do that is also in the show notes i will see you on thursday and take care